One of my frustrations towards the end of Twitter, outside of just all the change in leadership, was we would have these really cool integrated ideas with influencers, but unless they fit in a tweet, we couldn't do them. And it started to feel really limiting to not have like the whole Crayola box to really execute what we thought was like the best idea for whatever the influencer happened to be and the client happened to be. Hey guys, welcome back. I'm so excited to be here with you. Gosh, this episode is being released like just before the holidays. So I'm just extra appreciative that you're spending some time listening to this show because I know you are all swamped. You're so busy. I hope this is an opportunity for you to just like relax and enjoy some time with the WIM podcast. We have a really good guest today, a very good guest today who I've been friends with now for many years. We first connected when she worked at Twitter and I had my own agency representing influencers. So it has been many years. Don't want to reveal how many exactly. Under 10, more than two. But I am very excited for you to learn more about Brooks Miller, who is our guest today. But before I do, just a couple quick announcements. We just sent out an email with one of our incredible 2024 virtual programming that we are offering to you guys. It is called 10 Common Legal Mistakes That You Want to Avoid. It is with the wonderful Jean Homburg, and she is our resident legal expert and lawyer. She is going to be going over the things that you want to look out for, the things that you want to avoid. And we actually have her teaching masterclasses once every single quarter, all in 2024. Why? Because I want to get you guys protected. I want to get you guys taken care of. And she's just a wealth of information. So she has raised her hand to help you guys in all things legal protections. Whether you're a creator or an agency or a brand, we're going over all of it. So we just announced that and I'm very excited. All you have to do is go to our website, imwim.com slash events. The event is free for everybody. So please check it out. Please join us live too, because that's the best way to experience all of our virtual events. Also, keep an eye out for a couple things. Actually, we have so many things on the horizon, you guys. So one thing is that we are going to be announcing all the different cities that we are going to be hosting in-person events at in 2024. We have signed on. I think we're up to 22 ambassadors who are going to be planning events. Sure, in LA and New York and Chicago, but all over the place, you guys. Wait, let me pull up this list so I can even read them to you. We have ambassadors in Boston, in Nashville, in Miami, in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have someone in Atlanta. We've got people all over because we want to come to your neck of the woods and nothing beats an in-person interaction. I mean, we're a networking group at the end of the day. I almost hate that word and I want to I don't know. I want to like flip it on its head because networking is such an old antiquated term. 
But nothing beats like that in-person interaction with women who just get it, you know? So we're doing that more and we have so much to announce. I know Dallas is hosting a holiday party the week that I'm recording this, tomorrow actually on the 13th. So it'll probably in the, be in the past by the time you're listening, but more in Dallas, more in all those cities. And I'm so excited to announce all those soon. Um, and then the last announcement is that we are going to be launching our first membership for creators. This has literally been years in the making and something that I've always wanted to do, but it's just been on the back burner because that's not been what WIM has been focused on. Our focus has always been on, you know, agencies, management companies, brands, basically those who hire influencers, who who advocate for influencers. But it's literally called influencer marketing. So we would be crazy to not provide offerings to creators and to influencers. So we are about to launch that very soon, likely at the beginning of the year. So keep an eye out for that. Um I will give you a teaser. It's a bunch of casting opportunities. So very excited to launch that. And we will definitely have a very, very intro price at the very beginning for those who sign up early days. So if it's something that you're considering, if you're a creator who listens to the show or people who are like, oh, girl, I want more casting opportunities, then definitely sign up early days. It's going to be incredibly inexpensive and the price will definitely go up later. But always want to reward people who sort of are like, who get in at the beginning. All right, you guys, I want to kind of introduce our guest to you. Again, she's wonderful. You'll see for yourself in a few when you hear from her. But here's a little bit about Brooks. So Brooks Miller, she's been working in the influencer marketing industry since 2015. She is currently the EVP of Influencer Marketing at Edelman. She's based also in New York City. Prior to Edelman, she was a Twitter for seven and a half years, and she'd led the U.S. creator content strategy and execution team, which was focused on collaborating with the internet's top influencers and artists to make best-in-class content for Twitter's advertisers. Before her life was peppered with hashtag sponsored and hashtag ad. She was an account manager at creative agencies like Barrett Hoffer, aka Barrett SF, and 72 and Sunny. She's won multiple shorty awards for her work and has been featured in Ad Week and Ad Age. I just want you to like experience how lovely she is. She's such a light, such a personality, and I know you're going to enjoy. So keep listening. Thanks for listening. Happiest holidays. And this is Brooks. This show is sponsored by Women in Influencer Marketing, better known as WIM, the best online community for the creator economy. You will meet fellow influencer marketers. You'll meet brands. You'll meet talent agencies to talk shop, get hired, and even find a mentor. When you become a member, do not forget to check out all of our incredible resources. For example, we have dozens of masterclasses from the top voices of TikTok and YouTube. 
award-winning agencies and women who are paving the way for us all. So if you want the chance to network with a who's who in influencer marketing, check out what it takes to become a member. Make more money and have fun doing it. Visit IamWim.com slash join. That's I-A-M-W-I-I-M.com slash join today. And I so look forward to seeing you more around the community. So first and foremost, welcome. And it's been literal years. Literally years. We won't tell anyone how many though, because then people will know how old we are. No, we're going to keep it a secret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been more than two. Less than a decade, more than two. We'll stop there. Yes. Yes. Perfect. But we knew each other from back in the day from when I was a talent manager. Mm-hmm. You were working at Twitter mm-hmm. when Twitter was Twitter. Yes. <laughs> we don't call it X in this house. No, I don't think many people do, to be honest. No, it's kind of wild how disrespectful, like truly no one embraces it. It's like meta, everyone's fine with, X, no one's really on board. <laughs> it's just like, it's also like, you know, meta's a cool name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that too. Like, yeah. He, I, I heard that Elon really wanted for years to name a company X. That's what I had heard. Like he owned like some sort of domain or something along those lines and just kind of retrofitted it. Exactly. He obviously like cares a lot about that that letter. So fine. Right. Does, aren't his kids named like they have wild names? They do. I think one of them is named X. In fact, I remember when he was like visiting the office, like right before he took over the one with Grimes, the OG with Grimes, he had it with him at the office and people were like sending photos of and I think that child's name is X or X is involved somehow. There, there is an X in the name. Yes. That's pretty – like, I feel like this is, like, an unpopular thing to say, but, like, I used to be an Elon Musk fan. I, like – I was, like, a Mm. big Elon Musk person. I just – I liked a lot of things. I liked the big thinking. I liked Mm. the bold, you know, risk-taking, et cetera, et cetera. My opinions have changed a bit in recent years for a lot of different reasons. But anyways, for people who are tuning in are probably like, why are you guys talking so much about Elon Musk and Twitter? So we're going to get into all of it. Brooks is with us today. She's also in New York, yet we like we should be in a room together, but we're not. It's okay. <laughs> we'll do that soon. But the reason I guess we're chatting a little bit about that is because that's where we met when Brooks was at Twitter. So she was around during like the days of transition from Twitter to X, but and we're gonna you know, get into your experience with that. I think that would be really like, I'm so curious about what that was like during those days before, after, et cetera. But um, before we do, I think it would be great to just like catch us up on like recent events. I think you just moved back to New York. Is that right? I did. I did. And that's kind of part of the X story. But um, yeah, so my husband and I We've lived, the ongoing joke is that we've lived everywhere that's expensive. <laughs> like as soon as we find out that there's a new expensive List place, the we keep moving there. <laughs> uh, LA, San Francisco, New York, Austin, which is very expensive now, and then back to New York. So like we just need Singapore, we need London. Yes, you do. And then we just have like the holy trinity of all the expensive <laughs> places. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell us about, but you were in New York before. Uh-huh. What, what brought you back? Yeah. So we were in New York for five years throughout the entire pandemic. So we were like fully in lockdown. We stayed here the whole time throughout the really intense parts of the pandemic and the shutdowns. 
like fully cl- doing clappy hour, looking outside of our windows and like giving people thumbs up, like the whole deal. <clears throat> it was dramatic. But during that, I mean, like everyone had kind of these crises of like, what are we doing with our lives? And we certainly had that. Three of our four parents turned 70. And we were like, wow, our, par- our parents are getting like very old. And then on top of that, my sister had her daughter and then got pregnant with her son. And I was like, this is wild. We are so far away from our family. And my husband and I are both from Texas. We're both from Dallas. And then we decided also that we wanted to have a family. And so we were like, I guess we need to move home and like get a house and a yard and be near grandparents and uncles and cousins and aunts and all the things. So we moved to Austin for his job, got there and hated it. Like so much. I feel like we're the only people that have like said that they hated Austin, but I went to college there and it's just a very different town now. It was like a small little cool funky town and now it has like an Hermes store and a Soho house and it's like, what is happening with this place? And it's just politically not my vibe. It was so hot. Having a house is like a thing that I was not prepared for and then I lost my job. So when we started looking for new jobs or when I started looking for a new job, we were like, we should probably move away. So when the opportunity at Edelman presented itself, my old boss who ended up being the person who hired me at Edelman was like, this job is a New York job. Is that okay with you? And I was like, that is very okay with me. So we're back. <laughs> we're back. Okay. So that's, we're back. So it's like the universe sort of like bringing you back to a certain extent. Yeah. Okay. So let's take a – so you're back in New York selfishly. I'm like, that's great because I'm here. Yay. I know. I'll meet you at a happy hour. Exactly. Can't wait. Exactly. But okay. So let's take a step back. So yeah. I would love to – I mean, you live through the Elon Musk acquisition of Twitter and yes. we're among, I mean, so many people, most of the company, right, who lost their, their job. Yeah, 50% on the company. So walk us through a candid like <laughs> view of what that time was like for you. It was so wild. So I don't know if – well, I was thinking about this last night when we had talked about what we – like questions would be today. I do think it's important because like everyone is probably going to get laid off throughout their career. Like it's just kind of part of the deal. And I think it's important like – to categorize it in multiple different contexts. Like there's a personal context, there was like my team context and then the company, but it was really dramatic. I, I don't know if everyone remembers, but it was ha- it happened basically over a year. So in the, this is all 2022, in the winter spring, there was an activist investor, which ended up being Elon. And he had gobbled up like a ton, like a, not a majority share, but a significant amount of shares in the company, kind of like seemingly overnight. And he was offered, I think at the time, like a board seat, said he didn't want a board seat and then offered to like purchase the company. They reached an agreement in like May. Actually, I know it was in May because it was about a week before I gave birth. So all of 2022, I was pregnant. They reached the deal in May. And then while I was on that leave and basically that entire summer, he tried to like get out of the deal. I don't know if you remember that. Like, oh yeah. Oh, there are bots. There are too many bots. And he was essentially like, he kind of bought it for too much money. He overvalued it and tried to get out of the deal. I came back from maternity leave and within three weeks, I think the first week he was visiting the office, the second week he started and brought like the sink in. And the third week he laid off 4,000 people. 
And it was like the Thanos snap is what we all joked that it was because we, I think it was like 11 o'clock on like a Thursday. I was trying to Slack on my phone and my Slack wouldn't work. I was like, oh, this isn't good. And I went to open my computer and my computer would not turn on. I was like, I think that I don't have a job anymore. (laughs) And can you walk us through like what that's actually like to experience? Because to your point, I do unfortunately think that so many people are going to be going through layoffs and like experience what you Mm -hmm. did. I think that like a lot of us are like, oh my gosh, like I would never go through something like that. But I mean, I've personally met dozens and dozens and dozens of people who have gone through this in the past two to three years. What does that feel like? And like, how do you how did you navigate that like really truly it feels like shit <laughs> it's not fun at all i think my first like biggest tip truly and this sounds so tactical is have your own personal computer i one of my biggest stressors immediately was that i didn't have a like computing device i didn't have an ipad i didn't have a laptop of my own and i realized like really quickly if i wanted to make connections with people if I wanted to work on my resume, I didn't really have like the tools to do that. So the first piece of advice is if you don't have a personal computer, go and get one, get a cheap one, get an old one. It doesn't matter like how old or young or like what iOS system it is. Have something so that you're not completely just held into your phone because that was one of the biggest stressors is like making sure that I had my documents and my photos. Like, you know, I had a newborn, like I had photos on my computer. I had all of my work that I'd ever done, my Rolodex, all of my information was essentially held hostage for a hot second. Um, So back up your stuff and make sure that you have a laptop. That's my first, that's my first and biggest piece of advice. No, it's it's such good advice because I feel like uh, you know, it's like it's technical advice. I know, you know, but I, I feel like a lot of people like naturally will just utilize the work computer and like mm-hmm. make it this hybrid thing where mm-hmm. it's like they're personal and they're professional and whatever. And like most of the time we just assume everything's going to be a hunky dory and never going to mm-hmm. have an issue. So you just sort of operate in that way. But the truth is if like things can, ha- I mean, we've learned in the past three years with the world, yeah. like be do you know doing backflips that like anything can happen so i think that's such good advice to just keep things separate because yeah. you like you know for many reasons and both ways too like i think it's good to not necessarily have work stuff on your personal computer cuz just it's good to keep them uncoupled i think that's yeah. really really solid advice get an external hard drive get a computer. Those are my two big ones. But in terms of what it was like, it was really stressful. The thing that I'm really glad about in retrospect is that my entire team was essentially select all delete. So we were all in the same boat and there was certainly like a sense of camaraderie there. And I remember immediately we started creating DMs. There was like a Slack group that everyone had started of alumni I remember putting together like an Excel of everyone on my team's name, their amount of experience, their LinkedIn, like the kind of jobs that they were looking for. And so we just kind of banded together in this really beautiful way, even though it was like out of tragedy in a lot of ways. But that part was really nice. I I would say I would not recommend to my worst enemy the three weeks that I was back from Matley, essentially like the takeover, because there's so much uncertainty and you know, when you have a, a person, especially a person like Elon coming into a company 
the entire executive suite is like not going to stay. If anything, they're either going to leave because they don't agree with the way that he runs business or he's in a clean house because he wants to have all of his people there. So like those weeks and even over the the summer when I was on leaves, it just nothing got done. And like people, it was so much drama. People were dropping like flies. You heard this person was leaving. This person was getting let go. This person was a new job somewhere else because they had clearly been like looking elsewhere all summer. So there was so much unrest and anxiety that like we couldn't do any work. <laughs> we couldn't get anything done. And then being an influencer marketing, our poor influencers were so worried about you know, you know the health of the platform and whether or not they were going to use it to monetize. That was so much of what we did with them and making sure that they had like a really strong Twitter presence and were really bought in on the company. And so it was like not just a loss of us and our jobs and people that I really care about, but also the loss of like this utility and this platform that I'd spent almost eight years talking about and believing so deeply in the power of kind of just like unraveling right before our eyes. It was like really sad. It was sad on multiple levels. I was going to say you were there for a long time, eight years. Like that's not, I mean, that's a long time. Like half the life of the platform. (laughs) Exactly. And also like these days, I feel like people Mm. jump a lot from job to job. Mm -hmm. It's kind of rare to have a stint like eight years at a company, but it was a really cool thing that you guys had built. And I can imagine it was, I think it was really cool. It was platform based. So theoretically it felt like there was a lot of like stability there and resources there, but it was like very influencer. It was all influencer focused, Mm. what you guys were, were doing and the people that were involved were so cool. So, I mean, it, it, I can imagine there was like a sense of loss when something that you built was sort of like swept up underneath you fairly quickly. And it's sort of, at least from an outside perspective, it felt messy. Like I would like to think that if I were in his shoes, I would have done so many things differently to just like manage it more smoothly for so many reasons, like (laughs) optics, to have human decency, like, I don't know, like little things like that. What I also heard you say is like these, this is literally weeks after you had your first kid, right? Or this is after you were finished from mat leave. Yes. So he was 20 weeks old at the time. So like five months. Five months old. What was your process for once you knew that you were part of the P of the group that was going? That's to- why my laptop didn't open anymore. <laughs> when you were suddenly like trying to log in for work and weren't able to, and your stomach probably dropped to be like, this is how I'm going to find out. Like, this is like, this is really happening. And so it sort of mm. settles in. Like, when did you start to try to put your feet in motion, one foot in front of the other to say like, all right, I need to figure out my next step. And and how did you do that? Yeah. And I mean, I'm lucky in that. And I kind of, I was alluding to this earlier, like there's a personal context, team context, company context, company context was like, you know, it, it's, it exploded from the inside out. It doesn't even have the same name anymore. It's not the same place. And I wasn't really bought in on him as a leader, even prior to him actually taking over. So when he became an activist investor, I was just kind of like, I don't really want to work for this guy. He's transphobic. He doesn't really have a great history with women or people of color. He doesn't pay his employees very much or have like great benefits packages, like not really for me. But then also on the team context, my team had drastically changed throughout 2022 
our global leader left for a different job, our other leader like mysteriously left in very strange circumstances. And then our U.S. sales business leader took a much deserved mental health break and decided she didn't really want to come back to the company. So, and then we also got reorged. So all the leaders and like mentors and people that I interface with a ton for, you know, eight years were gone. I was like, well, this isn't that fun anymore. Like that is a lot of what I cared about. And I really believed in their vision too. And I was like, I have to learn all these new people. I don't know if I want to do that. But ultimately, I wanted to like have my baby and like live my life and figure out what I was going to do in with a longer timeline. But um, basically over the summer and before I finished my mat leave, I started talking to people about what my next step might look like. And I think my biggest piece of advice outside of get a laptop <laughs> is to use your Rolodex. That is where you should start. Shouldn't start with just throwing your resume on greenhouse and throwing it against random LinkedIn jobs. I think that's a great way to get your foot in the door for sure. But the most valuable thing that we all have for us is the people that we've worked with before, the mentors we have, and the leaders that we know. To talk to them about who you are, what you care about, what your next step may be. And starting there was what I had done prior to coming back. So that was basically what I wanted to keep doing. I was like, I've got a baby and a mortgage. I need to get a job <laughs> and I'm going to start talking to people that I know about and care about and who like understand who I am as well. And I think that's like, oh, that's such good advice because I think a lot of people, uh, you know, people react to heightened moments in such different ways. I can, I've definitely seen a lot of people like panic, you know, and like, and in that panic and just like that frenzy, I'm just going to do everything to like blast out messages to everybody. I know. It was like drinking out of a fire hose. There were so many inbounds. It was really wild. I had emails after emails, after DMs, after LinkedIn DMs. It was I was like, whoa, this is too much. But ultimately it settles down. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a it's a lot, but also like in your from your direction outward, I can imagine people would just throw spaghetti at the wall, just feeling like I, I don't know what to do. So I'm just gonna do everything. So that's such good advice. And I think that like maybe to get to the place of being settled and calm and strategic, maybe you need to take a beat in order to get to that headspace. So like take time that you need and be strategic and go through the people who I love that, who just, who know you and who, who share maybe the similar values, like get, understand what you're about and from a business con in a business context. And I think that's such good advice. What else did you do like the first day and the first week of layoff? So people can sort of see what your process was and <clears throat> excuse me. And would you, would you change any of that? Would you do any of it differently? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I actually got laid off the night before PTO. I was coming to visit people in New York. <laughs> No, we the first thing I did was take vacation. But honestly, it ended up being really nice because I think if I had been working or just like near a computer and not distracted, I think I would have gone like down the rabbit hole of all the inbounds and just kind of like obsessive with going through all the tweets and DMs and all the things, which ultimately probably wouldn't have been very healthy. The first thing I did though when I got back was call several of my old bosses and set up time with them. I think I got a Calendly, which was very exciting so that I could set time with people. And I dusted off my resume. I bought a computer, got a Calendly, figured out my resume and started talking to people that I cared about in industries that I thought were interesting. And, you know, I'll say 
what you were kind of alluding to before about taking a beat. I was very gung-ho about working immediately, mainly because I had just been off for 20 weeks. I mean, not off. It's not a vacation when you have a baby, but I hadn't been working for like 20 weeks. And I was like, I want to like get back in the workforce. And like, I got a mortgage. I have things to do. There were a lot of people on our team who were straight up just fatigued. And they were like, I don't want to do this for right now. I want to enjoy my holidays. It was around November when we all got laid off. Um, They wanted to just enjoy life for a second. And a lot of people took time off and started their job search like later, later. And they're all doing great. Like it's really depends on you and your personal um, decisions around like what feels good to you right then and there. Yeah, for sure. I also want to acknowledge, and I know you would acknowledge this too, is like some people aren't in a position where they can do that, right? And so maybe that's a good lesson as well in like this, I don't know, this like self-preservation like and just like thinking that like anything could happen. It's a really good idea to have maybe sort of set money aside when things are good so that, you know, if something happens, maybe you can have a certain amount of money set aside so that you can have some time to figure out your next best move. Because like I can imagine uh, like what not to do is just jump into something just to jump into it, but then it's not the right fit at all. And then that sounds awful, you know? So you want to like set your future self up to be able to have the luxury of time. It's a, I think that I can imagine that's a really important thing that we can give ourselves. So now today, presently, you're at Edelman, which is an awesome agency. And so I'm so curious, like what are some of the key differences from being at a big, well-known social media platform versus an agency? It is so different. You would think that it would be similar. I mean, it's similar in that everyone is really smart and really driven and really cool. Like, that's great. And I, that's, you know, my dream. I just want to work with cool people that make me feel smarter and better and that are like nice. But it is so different and I, more so than I even anticipated. So prior to coming to Twitter, I was working at agencies as well, but it was more like traditional advertising. So I was doing TV commercials, billboards, print ads, like all the old school, like traditional advertising. So I had agency experience, but I think like the biggest... Well, one of my frustrations towards the end of Twitter outside of just all the change and leadership was we would have these really cool integrated ideas with influencers, but unless they fit in a tweet, we couldn't do them. And it started to feel really limiting to not have like the whole Crayola box to really execute what we thought was like the best idea for whatever the influencer happened to be and the client happened to be. And so that started to feel like really limiting what's really nice about an agency is like, we don't have any of those trappings. Like we can work with anyone on any platform and any format kind of in any way. We don't even have to have it be a 30 second commercial. It can really be kind of anything. And that has felt really relieving creatively. And as a leader to be able to like help people dream big, like super, super big, not just within 140 characters. But I, I will say like outside of that, the most wonderful difference about being back at an agency is I think at a platform, we're so mission driven because everything is about like the product. In our case, it was Twitter, but like there was a mission. It was like, make Twitter amazing, make it at the best utility, connect the world. And everyone was so in lockstep about that mission. And that felt really good. But ultimately marketing and comms, 
and influencers. Like we were not the mission. We were not what everyone in the building did. And we were treated that way. Like sometimes it was really difficult to get um, support. It was really difficult to get headcount. It was really difficult to get like tools. You know, someone didn't want to pay for a Captivate membership for a long time. It was just trying to figure out how to get the financial support from a team leadership perspective got really, really tough. And what's amazing about an agency is we all do comms, all of us. Like our job, my job is everyone's job. So there's like inherent buy-in with influencer. You know, even if someone doesn't necessarily feel like they understand influencers, they understand that they are important to marketers and to the marketing landscape. And I think that part has been so refreshing of not necessarily having to like beat the drum of like, these people are important. They have influence and they're connected to audiences and all those things just to get support internally. It's like everybody gets it. I mean, every everybody gets it. Everybody's like trying to, everyone's doing the same thing versus I guess where you were prior. Like you were all, you know, you had a great team who was all, who all got it and was doing the same thing, but it was part of such a larger company. And they, oh, yeah. and, and other people had, you know, very like, peripherally aligned interests, but different. Like they were just doing different things for that company. So mm -hmm. I can imagine that it's a pretty cool experience to have, to not have to beg for things that maybe seem obvious <laughs> as like, as something that would be valuable for you. So now at an agency as well, I can assume that you've got lots of different clients and lots of different teams that you're working with at those respective companies. I love to get like a pulse check on what people are talking about these days, what they're concerned about these days. And I just think that you have a really interesting vantage point, given that you are at such a large agency that works with so many different companies. I know that you only have a certain set of clients yourself personally that you're working on, but what are your clients most concerned about these days in terms of their work with influencers? Oh my gosh, it is all crisis, safety, and risk. All of it. I really think that Bud Light, and I'm so sick of talking about Bud Light to be completely honest with you, but unfortunately it's super relevant because it is a lot of marketers like worst nightmare come true. And I'll say that with the Bud Light of it all, the issue was with Bud Light. It was not with Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan did nothing wrong, but Bud Light simply just didn't have a strategy around who they partnered with. They pandered to hateful people and lost on both sides, and they're still dealing with the financial repercussions of it. And I just see across the board that clients are just so nervous, so nervous. So we've been having, and Target apparently experienced some similar stuff. And then now with the Israel-Hamas war, there are so many conversations being had. And this is like very serious stuff, but so many conversations being had around influencers who are speaking up on either end of the spectrum. And like, if they should be kept on a campaign if they decide to post something that's pro-Palestine or if they should be, you know, kept from a campaign if they start posting about being pro-Israel or if they post at all or if they attend a march here and there. I think there's just so much anxiety about companies feeling that they may or may not get canceled and they're going to suffer major losses um, according to who they partner with. It's something we talk about a ton. It's so interesting. I, like I definitely, I mean, I'm sure you do. Too. I have thoughts on all of it to be completely. Right. Exactly. Like I certainly have so many thoughts on it. I know you do too. And like, I, I think I can separate them. I have my thoughts personally based on just like things that I believe as a human, but I also 
I can look at it from a business perspective, from like that lens. And I definitely understand that anxiety and that fear. I think what comes to mind is this idea that like it's an impossible feat to try to please everybody. And I can imagine that's where the anxiety comes from. And it's just going to be the self-perpetuating thing because you're it's an impossible thing to be able to do, to achieve, to be able to please everybody. So I could imagine and it's and coupled with the fact like it's been a it's been a tricky economy so like because everybody's just really trying to like increase sales and drive revenue and stuff like you you don't want to limit your your customer base by saying well I can't please everybody so we're going to take the stance but naturally of course that's going to remove some people from being customers what you know what like so you're the expert though, like you, you know, like, so what advice do you give them to alleviate anxiety to like really like navigate them through that? Well, I think there's two different things to really keep at the forefront of your mind. For On the brand side, you have to know who you are as a brand. You just have to, that's table stakes. And if a brand doesn't know who they are or why they're doing, you know, an initiative with March Madness, an initiative with a particular influencer, if they don't know why they're doing that, it's because they don't know who they are and they need to do the brand work to understand like, what do they stand for? What is their identity? And everything else, when you really have a good handle on that, everything else flows from that really pretty easily. So a lot of it is work on the brands and we challenge them to really do those like self-reflective exercises. Honestly, it's like very therapy mindset. But I also think the other thing to keep at the forefront of your mind is understanding inherently what is the value of an influencer. And to me, it's their humanity. They are human. And I think we spent, as marketers, spend a lot of time trying to humanize brands. We give them voiceovers. We give them pantones. We give them jingles. We give them, you know, everything in the book to try and give them a voice on Twitter. You try to humanize the brand. But what's beautiful about an influencer is that they're already human, right? Like we don't have to do that. And I think when you really deeply understand that at a core level, that these are human beings with lived experiences, with family and friends and opinions and history, you start to not only expect that they're going to be vocal on issues that matter to them, but you also understand that you respect that they're going to be vocal about issues that matter to them and value it even. And that's where I like really get tripped up. feel like I have to constantly remind brands that these are people, they're people, they're not a billboard. They have, a, they have a circuitous relationship with their followers and they're going to weigh in on things that matter. And I can also imagine that from a creator's perspective or, you know, their team that's working with them, managers, et cetera, to be able to grow, maintain, build an audience of people who really care what you say and what you're talking about, they have to take a stance too. And, you know, so the brands, like they got to do their work. And in my mind, I'm like, I hope they empathize in some way that the creators need to as well, because there is so much going on in the world. And I think that people really respect creators who aren't just billboards, you know, who are real people with real opinions. Like that's, I mean, I'll just speak personally. Like those are the types of creators that I'm attracted to. 
you know, I want people who like really think and like have opinions and like, I want to know what they believe. And so that will get me engaged. And then brands want engaged audiences from right. That's why you want to hire one. It's almost like being your authentic self is like the way to be. Exactly. Yet I think people are being punished transparently. Like I just see they're being punished. They're missing out on jobs. They're being taken off of things simply for having an opinion. Big picture. What do you think about that? Like even just like aside from like, you know, your job on a day to day, like what are your opinions on, on sort of like, censoring people in a bit or, you know, like basically coming down on people for being vocal about their opinions. Yeah. Something we've been talking about a lot internally is this idea that brands have stock prices. Influencers have followers. That's their stock price. That's their NASDAQ, right? Yeah. And the way that they create a healthy business, because this is their business, this is what they do for a living, is by creating trust with their community. It's community building 101. And they can't do that if they are being, if they're censoring how they feel about things. Now, do I think that there is a public persona and a private persona? Yes, absolutely. I've talked to a lot of creators about what they are and are not posting. And certainly some of their more spicy takes are like left in the text messages and DMs that it's not going out. They want to be brand safe. But ultimately, if we're going to hire people to take advantage of their community, we have to understand that they're going to come to their community in an authentic way. And if you as a brand have a hard line in the sand, then don't cross that as a brand, but also make sure that you're working with influencers that have those same lines in the sand so that it's all copacetic. I just ultimately don't think it's fair to really like censor somebody because of how they think. Just don't work with a creator that thinks so differently from you that you would need to censor them. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And so I'm curious, there are people certainly listening who, you know, are either at an agency or at a brand and they're like, okay, I'm sold. Like, I agree. (laughs) I think that sounds great. How do they do that? How do they find the best partners for them? Like what, what is your process and has it evolved since the world has kind of been on fire a bit more these days? Yeah. I mean, we have a pretty deep vetting process and it's different for each brand because each brand has a totally different threshold of what they care about. And, you know, and it's not just political. I think a lot of brands get sensitive if a creator does too many brand sponsorships and they feel like they're just kind of like on QVC essentially and don't really want to be associated. Or, you know, there's there's a lot of people have landmines that are unique to them. So I think it really boils down to having a really robust vetting process and looking at who you're recommending, but also having really transparent conversations with your clients around what are their triggers? And like, let's be really honest about those triggers, because I think sometimes brands will say what they want to work with and say that they feel comfortable. But then ultimately, like I, we got a brand today that was Asking if we thought a creator having, and it was a male creator, having painted nails was distracting. And it was like, oh, okay, how do I, how do I have this conversation with this brand to help them understand that like someone painting their nails is actually like not distracting at all? What we did is we pulled other photos and videos of the same influencer with their nails painted in every single image. We're like, this person is always like this. It's not going to be distracting. 
if you feel that makes you uncomfortable, let's have that conversation. But otherwise, let's just keep it moving and not really engage with that. Oh my gosh. There's so many little details and just, Uh, it's such a business of managing people and figuring out the psychology of it all. And, and having empathy, totally. And having empathy for that client who they're not mentioning that out of like bad intentions. They're just really trying to do their due diligence because their life and their livelihood is on the line. I totally get it. So I think it's just having empathy for the conversations in the first place and then feeling really confident in the creators that you decide to work with and the why. It's all about the why. Totally. Okay. So we are recording this like mid-December of 2023. So it's like a really interesting time of year where everybody is planning for 2024, anticipating it. How are you preparing for 2024? I am taking so much vitamin C so I don't get sick. Perfect. (laughs) Like I've had a permanent cold. No, I think it's like one of the big reasons I wanted to come to Edelman is my old boss from Twitter actually hired me here and he's really bought in on this idea too. But I think one of the things that I'm most excited about with influencer marketing just generally, you and I have been around for a long time, like pre-FTC disclosure, pre-people having like, CAA agents, like I, people's moms are looking at their contracts when I was started out doing this. So it's a billion dollar industry. That's really cool. And I think it's table stakes for everyone to understand that creators are really good at creating content. Like that's what they, they're content creators. They do that for a living. And we know they're amazing spokespeople. They have done that since the beginning of branded content. But what I am excited about for 2024 and encouraging brands to utilize more is that these are people who have consultative expertise. They can tell you like how to handle the Israel Hamas war on social, like because they're professionally online and because they have this circuitous relationship with their followers, they're very much incentivized to understand like what people think and what people feel and how to best connect with them because they're also small business owners. So we've been trying to get more and more brands to start utilizing influencers for their consultative expertise. Like we've had influencers pitch in on a pitch for a shoe brand that was trying to understand like kind of like cool fashion, urban shoe, like the fashion landscape better because they saw that, you know, more of the Instagram girlies were starting to wear their shoes. They didn't really understand how to talk to them. So we brought in influencers to come give them advice on like, hey, I'm a fashion influencer girly. I love your shoes and here's why. And simply using them as consultants to even talk about emerging platforms like Lemonade when it was released in the States or pushed for more in the States over the summer. We had several influencers come and talk to us about like, hey, are you paying attention to this platform? Why or why not? You know, what trends are you seeing, et cetera? These are experts in their field. They're marketers, small business owners, and utilizing them for consultation is a huge part of one of the ways you can be more successful online and within culture. That's so interesting. I want to do like a whole panel discussion with people about that exact topic because I hear people talk about how they're starting to do it or they're interested in doing it. And like, I think that's a great first step, but I want to really learn what are those success stories? You know, how is it really move the needle for people? Because I want to get people like really thinking creatively about how that can be so effective for them. I think that we cerebrally like understand it and that seems like a good idea, but I think there's, I don't think there's enough people doing it and like really sort of like 
experimenting with the best way to do it. So I'm really curious, what are there some particular like success stories that you can share that come to mind of like when that maybe some of our listeners can can take from? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the easiest ways to implement the idea of influencers as consultants is when you're talking to an influencer, ask them their opinion. And one of the ways we even got to this insight in the first place was because in post-2020 world, that first Black History Month, we got a lot of briefs from clients that were problematic. It would, they had their best intentions in place, but they were asking influencers to kind of like perform some trauma and talk about like really serious things in a very strangely branded manner. And it was just like they're bad briefs, all to say. And through no one's fault, like they were well-intentioned, but not in line with what was happening online. And so we had a lot of influencers come who I was actually reaching out to to participate in the campaign. And we had these really honest and frank conversations of like, this is like not a great brief. And I don't think that the creative that comes out of this brief is going to be good. And I don't think it's going to be received well. So like, let's change that. And thankfully, those clients were incredibly receptive to that idea of like switching things around and being more malleable with our overall intentions. But my recommendation, so that's certainly an example of how this can be really, really helpful. But I think anyone who works with influencers, whether you're an agent, whether you're you're an influencer yourself, whether you're, you know, deploying them for your campaigns is having, encouraging you to have like a two-way conversation with them about what we're working on. Does it feel insightful? Is it going to be successful online? Because I hate to say it, like, they are really good at what they do and they probably know it's going to go well. And it's our job, at least here at Edelman, to interpret that into a way that makes sense for clients. Like they're they're not replacing us, but ultimately they're these really trusted advisors and we should use them as such. They're definitely not replacing anybody. I think, but I think that, and I know that you're like, We'll get worried about that though. That's what I was just going to say. I know that you're saying about it like sort of jokingly and like you're like obviously, but but people <laughs> do in the back of their mind, they don't want to admit it, but they do think about that. And like I understand mm-hmm. it, but I think that like they should be looked at as advisors, like you said, or like trusted mm-hmm. partners and people to just sort of like to riff ideas off of, to amplify the vision as a whole. Like they have their place in the team and you have your place on the team as well. So I think that, yeah. Totally. I Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I also just think like ultimately there is a power dynamic and I'm just speaking from being someone that activates campaigns with influencers on behalf of advertisers. So this is different for everybody, but in what I do, there's a power dynamic. Like I am paying the influencer. I'm for all intents and purposes, their employer. They want to do what I ask. I know it doesn't always seem that way, but they want to do what I ask because they want to be perceived as a really great person to work with. They want to have, you know, really high engagement rates, view rates, impressions, all the things and do well so they can get the next job. So if an influencer is like, hey, this is not working, listen to that. It means that it's not working. Like there's no reason for them to say that unless they really do think it's going to affect the creative. So like that stuff is really valuable if you just like examine it through the lens of the relationship. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. And I appreciate that perspective. And so, and so similar, like you're in that same vein. What do you think we 
can do, different stakeholders within the creator economy, what, how do you think our industry should change so that we can all just do better? It's like a really broad question. And so I want to leave it open to your interpretation of what's going on in your world. But like, I think I personally think that change is one of the best things we can experience. And I know some people are very adverse to it or like nervous about it. But I think that especially from our industry, we need to continuously change and evolve and learn from. So I'm curious from your perspective and your vantage point, how do you think our industry should change so that we can all just do better? Yeah, I mean, things like WIM are hugely helpful because it gives us kind of a focus group to talk through what we're experiencing on the day-to-day. I just, I think a lot of times with influencers as well, you know, they don't like sit and work at a company with a bunch of other people. They don't really have anyone necessarily to compare notes with. They just if they know other influencers, they can compare notes with them. Maybe their agent can help them understand like what's going on with the landscape generally. But I've found time and time again, so much desire to be connected with one another. And I think that happens across the board. Even the nature of campaign work is pretty solo. It's pretty solitary. You're just like one person who's talking to like all five teams that there's five influencers on the campaign. So just sharing information with each other and then encouraging each other to understand that we all have really good intentions. So if, you know, a brief really sucks, we got, or if someone has been really exemplary to work with, like tell them, let them know why they want to have feedback just as much as we do. You know, we have our reviews with our manager every quarter. They don't get that necessarily. So just creating more of a, um, a camaraderie amongst everyone. I think like things like women are perfect for that. And that's great to hear. I appreciate it. I did not pay her for this endorsement. <laughs> I swear ah. we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I, but I we do didn't. appreciate the, you know, I appreciate that you appreciate whim. Um, we try to be that kind of a place for people. I think that what you said really resonates though, just, you know, not gatekeeping information, sharing your experiences and just being candid about it. I think that just naturally a lot of people like myself included, I think we're, we're a little conditioned to just only or mainly focus on like the success stories and all the good shiny things that happen too. And I know that I'm, if I hear somebody give me a recap of something that didn't work, where it was like, it was, it was a tough time, but really like seeing them be vulnerable and then hearing what they learned from it. I in turn am also inspired by that person to share what I've experienced. And oh my gosh, like I went through something that was, you know, just like that, but in this story and here's what I learned. And I just think that there's so much more value to glean from those types of stories because we're all experiencing them. And for some reason, I get it. Like for some reason, we're nervous or certainly hesitant to share the, I don't want, I'm so hesitant to say failures because I actually don't think that they're failures at all. They're really truly like moments to learn from, but, um, yeah, people, we just want to have like our best foot forward, you know? So I, under, I, under, yeah, always so, like, I understand it, but I really appreciate the heck out of when people can, can share maybe what's, what's gone awry a bit and how they, you know, how they found their way back. So I think that that's great. I would love to keep chatting with you, but I think we're running low on time. And so I know, that I know that our audience would love to get in touch and they should. And so I'm curious, what is the best way for our audience to connect with you? Probably LinkedIn. 
I would say I'm not great about my LinkedIn DMs, but I do get to them, I promise. But yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best. I used to be super active on X. I'm not anymore. But I'm on Instagram as Brookseed. It looks like Brookseed. And then LinkedIn. And then I lurk on TikTok, but I don't post anything. So you can friend me. I'm just not, you're not going to get anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will share all of those links in the show notes for you guys Mm. to connect. Brooks, it's been such a pleasure having you on today. I know this is so nice to just like catch up and like you're just such a pleasure to chat with. And I know I encourage our audience to like reach out to you and just connect, like have you in their networks. And I want to see lots of connections happening. So I appreciate I'm you. So proud of you. This is so cool. You've made such an amazing impact on the whole industry. I'm just like so proud of you. Well, I appreciate you so much. Women supporting women is what I love. So <laughs> right back at you. I'm a big, huge fan. So I'm so happy to see that you landed at such a great company and they are so lucky to have you. And I'm just excited to see all the incredible things that you're going to be building throughout the rest of your career. We're trying. We're trying. Yep. And you will. I'm excited to see, but also to see the learning moments as well. (laughs) Do you know when I fall flat on my ass? (laughs) And that's what I love about you. I'm I'm telling you, people want to hear that way more than the shiny moments because like- They're funnier too. Yeah. Yes. That's what I want to hear, at least honestly, like that, that- that makes me my my ears perk up. Again, we will list all of your social channels and all that in the show notes. I encourage you guys to reach out. Thank you so much for being here today. And for everybody listening, we will see you next week. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, we gotta have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating, but the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.